So we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you're turning there, um, one of the things that um, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, the first letter and then the second letter here, is um, one thing that is commonly known is that the Corinthians were, were kind of fleshly. You know, they, um, they were kind of worldly. That, that's a whole, whole reason for these, these letters that were written to them. And, um, and they needed to be grounded very well in sound doctrine. Um, at Refuge, um, we just started on Thursday um, a study through different areas of, of doctrine. And so we have a total of seven men that are going, that are presenting. In fact, uh, Tom, what was yours? Uh, Subject? No, it was theology proper. Oh, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> you already forgot. <laughs> Jake, what was yours? No, it was really good. It was soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation. Richard? Christology. Christology. The doctrine of Christ. Gabe? Pneumatology. Pneumatology. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. See, Isaac. Where's Isaac? Where? Did he duck back there? <laughs> All right, so what'd you cover? <laughs> Ecclesiology, so the study of the church. So these are all things, and we covered other topics as well. So this is all uh, what we're doing here to make sure that we're well grounded and we understand the different views. Um, that have to do with uh, these doctrines, and not all doctrines are sound doctrine, right? Um, so we need to know what, what the different views are and whether they're biblical or not. That's really the bottom line, right? So the Apostle Paul is working and, and, and is showing an intense love to the church in Corinth as he's writing these letters, and they are strong letters, but keep in mind that they are being, being written to the church to make sure that these people, these brethren, are ones that know where they need to stand before the Lord and be right before them, before Him. And so, um, for this, this is a, a great study for us as we go through that we would know what is pleasing to the Lord what is walking by the Spirit and what is walking in the flesh. Uh, those are in contrast. Those are opposed to each other. And we ought to uh, walk more in line with the Lord than we are with the world. In fact, uh, friendship with the world is enmity with God, is what Scripture tells us. And so this morning we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue the study. The title of this morning's message is Gladly Spend and Be Spent for You. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is, to the sight, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. All for your upbuilding, 
Father, we want to commit this morning into your hands, Lord, asking for your blessing. Lord, give us understanding of your word. Help us, Lord, to continue to be shaped and molded into your image that we would more closely resemble you, that we would better reflect your glory. And, Lord, that we would walk in step with you. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Kirkendall Jr. said, quote, Every young student knows of Isaac Newton's famed encounter with a falling apple. Newton discovered and introduced the laws of gravity in the, in the 1600s, which revolutionized astronomical studies. But few know that if it weren't for Edmund Haley, the world might never have learned from Newton. It was Haley who challenged Newton to think through his original notions. Haley corrected Newton's mathematical errors and prepared geom- geometrical figures to support his discoveries. Haley coaxed the hesitant Newton to write his great work, Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. Haley edited and supervised the publication and actually financed its printing, even though Newton was wealthier and easily could have afforded the printing costs. Historians call it one of the most selfless examples in the annals of science. Newton began almost immediately to reap the rewards of prominence. Haley received little credit. He did use the principles to predict the orbit and return of the comet that would the comet that would later bear his name, but only after his death did he receive any acclaim. And because the comet only returns once every 76 years, the notice is rather infrequent. Haley remained a devoted scientist who didn't care who received the credit as long as the cause was being advanced. Others have played Haley's role. John the Baptist said of Jesus, he must become greater He must increase, but I must decrease. Barnabas was content to introduce others to the greatness, the magnificence, and the beauty and the grace of Jesus Christ. Such selfless acts advance the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 38 Humility demonstrated perfectly in Christ and should be mimicked by those who are called Christians and profess an allegiance to Him. But you see, it's this constant work, continuous work. It shouldn't be stop and go. It should be a daily work that we submit ourselves to. This is what we see before us. That's the encouragement that we, we receive from God's Word as we understand His grace and we walk in it. This is a humility that we see in these verses that we're going to cover that values others more than self, is patient, selfless, and builds each other up. That's what it does. Jesus himself gladly spent and was spent for the sake of the world's benefit and the Father's glory. Paul demonstrated a selfless life that lived to glorify Jesus Christ in his life, that came at the the expense of his own life and his own well-being for the benefit of the church, the bride of Christ, but also for the world. And And I speak to that because, had it not been for Jesus Christ, 
If it weren't for those who bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring, right? Who speak, who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the world would not know it. But let's not forget Paul's perspective of this, because the one thing that we can fall into is the worship of Paul, of John, of Barnabas, and we hold them really high. But really, this is Paul's perspective on all of this. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, he writes, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And in this section of Scripture, Paul continues to show his heart toward the church in Corinth. And we see genuine servitude, a genuine sacrifice, and genuine benefit for the bride of Christ. And that's what he was interested in communicating and portraying to his brethren. And I pray that we would be encouraged to live such a life. That it would be lived out to God's glory and to the benefit of others, sometimes even at our expense, sometimes even when it's inconvenient, that we live this life to glorify the Lord, knowing that there is no greater love that can be demonstrated but through a life that is willing to lay itself down for others and glorify Christ in our lives. That's what people ought to see. This, this humility, this gentleness, and this, um, this selflessness about us that, that it doesn't matter if it's Convenient or inconvenient. No matter if we're going through things or not going through things, that we are willing to step out, reach out, bring in, and encourage others to the glory of the Lord. Genuine servitude. Let's take a look at that, starting in verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Kind of a little sarcasm there, right? To make the point, I see a genuine servitude here. This, uh, this Apostle Paul, this child of God, this follower of Jesus Christ, was patient with the brethren in Corinth. Paul had thought of himself as a fool. As he said earlier, we studied through chapter 11. He laid out how it was that he was not in the least inferior to the super apostles. And remember, as we studied through, that it was only for a very short period of time that he actually boasted about his genealogy and who he was as a Jew. Remember, and then he went straight into his sufferings. Now, that was very well detailed, and he brought it forth. Now we know that it wasn't that these apostles were actually super apostles. That also was a sarcastic remark. It was to bring them, uh, the Corinthians, to their senses to make sure that they understood that, hey, I'll call them super apostles, but I'm not at the least, uh, in the least inferior to them. These were actually false apostles. It, was, it wasn't that they were thought of as super apostles, and Paul wasn't bothered by this. Not that he was jealous of the fact that you know, these guys were, were better in, in, in any way, shape, or form in comparison to Paul. What bothered Paul, this righteous indignation, is that they were influencing the Corinthian believers with false doctrine. That, that's what really cut to the heart of Paul. It really just dug deep, in, and he had this, this anger. 
but it caused him to reach out to be patient with the Corinthian believers and to explain to them why it is that they were false apostles. Even though Paul was thought of less, as he knew that very well, by his own brethren and these false apostles, and, and he uh, referred to them as deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ in chapter 11, he didn't abandon them. That's really important for us to understand. We, we should be meeting each other right where we are. And I know if, if we have uh, lengthy conversations, if we hang out enough time, um, I, I always talk about that. How it is that we ought to be patient with each other? You know, the Lord, if anyone should expect us to be at a certain place by now, right? It would be the Lord. And yet, he demonstrates grace towards us. Patience, mercy, love. And he meets us right where we are. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. To meet them right where they were, he didn't leave them, he didn't turn his back on them, he said, he didn't say, you know what, that's it, I'm out, I'm done. He kept going. In fact, he was getting ready to visit them a third time, as we'll learn this morning. In fact, he knew the place where they were so well that he didn't burden them financially. He asked the question of how it was that they were less favored than the rest of the churches, the Corinthians. It was that he wasn't supported by the church in Corinth financially, even though scripture is very clear that the churches support the work of the person who serves the church. Right, so is this why you feel like you're less favored than the rest of the churches? And of course, again, he wanted to bring them to their senses. Is this why you feel inferior to the other churches? Just forgive me for doing so. Forgive me that I'm not bringing you. Forgive me that I'm not charging you for coming and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. Paul tells them that if this is what he's charged with, then he pleads guilty. That's fine, that's okay. Genuine servitude toward God is demonstrated in long and steady patience toward those who do not readily accept one fully, or even thinks less of you. That's when it's tested. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul poured his life into them? The first time that he went to them, he spent a year and a half with them. The second time, not so long, and he's preparing to go back a third time. There's all kinds of issues that were happening during this time. And he addressed these issues in these letters. And he just kept going. He just kept going. Remember, keep your eyes on, on Jesus Christ. It's not perfectly exemplified as being rejected and despised by the very people he would die for and did die for and yet held the course, had given him to walk out all the way to the cross. He did. He fulfilled the will of the Father perfectly. He was despised by all. We also ought to demonstrate a genuine servitude toward others with great patience, keeping our eyes fake faith and glorify our Lord, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. If you're spending more time and more of your emotion in your life, focusing on the problems in your life, you've got your eyes on the wrong thing. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. When we are weak, he is strong. That's right. The joy strength. Let's talk about genuine sacrifice. Verse 14. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you. That will not be a burden, for I see yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burn you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the... Again, he's, the way he's laying this out is to like, listen, think about these things. The facts. This is, again, this, this display of genuine sacrifice for the sake, for the benefit of the brethren. This is, this is selfless. Paul continues with this thought of himself purposely, the Corinthians, uh, the Christians in, in Corinth, for the church there. He's making preparations to come to them uh, again, uh, speaking to that, a third visit. It was a year and a half long. His second visit was a different, and he didn't want his third visit to be that way. But he wasn't coming any differently than he had before to them. He was coming in the same manner. He wasn't coming to them to money, or really anything else that they possessed. None of that. He wasn't coming for that. Here that the Corinthian believers had accused Paul of being crafty and took advantage of them by deceit. But Paul is saying, show me, think about these things. Show me where, show me how I came to you crafty and deceiving you. Prove it. Think about these things. In fact, he points to the character of those whom he had sent to them for their benefit. Titus and this fellow brother. Did they behave in that manner? Did they come deceitfully? To take from you? But belong to you? Did we not? No, they didn't take advantage of them. In fact, Paul makes it a point to bear his heart before them and express his love for his brethren in Corinth. He doesn't care. They, they, won't, they won't say a thing. They just, the Apostle Paul just wouldn't have come back. People and people who reciprocate the love that I have for them. But he didn't do that. He kept going. He worked to them, laid it out. And again, he said, I will not be a burden to you. I will not be a burden to you. 
A minister of Jesus can be a burden when support is not appropriate and the person receives too much support. Adam Clark said this, quote, he who labors for the cause of God should be supported by the cause of God. That's scriptural. But woe to that man who aggrandizes himself and grows rich by the spoils of the faithful, and to him especially who has made a fortune out of the pence of the poor. In such a man's heart, the love of money must have its throne. As to his professed spirituality, it is nothing. He is a whited sepulcher and an abomination to the sight of the Lord. Close quote. So can ministers be a burden? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. But we need to keep in mind you, really, you. So I, I love Lee, I love Jim, Pastor Jim, Pastor Ruben, because they, they serve in two ways, so many different ways. They're, they're, they're the board of them. And they, we take into consideration everything that has to do with you, with glorifying the Lord, making sure that there is no burden that is unnecessarily placed on the church. So I'm, I'm forever grand that I have on the board that have come alongside and serve in, in many different ways. I'm truly grateful for them. Now, Paul had no desire to have what they possessed. But many God thinks, you know, God desires to possess our hearts, not our possessions. But he does desire that's us. But we allow him to hold that place, desiring him above all else. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, it says, And behold, a man came to him, saying, Teacher, come to Jesus. What good deed must I do to have you? Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, In adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these have I, but do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus, he is a city, he is God. He knew exactly where this man was. Between you and the Lord stands between you and the Lord. It takes the place of the Lord. If you're not willing to let go of something in your life for the sake of enjoying a relationship with your God, and Jesus knew that. So he said, Hey, you may have kept all these things since your youth. Not. How many have kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? Man, I. It's like, I've asked this over and over and not one person has said, oh, be. <laughs> because no one can. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. This man, the Lord Jesus, he knew it was his possessions. It was his accumulation of wealth that was standing between them he says, go sell everything. Not that the Lord wanted everything. Because he didn't say, you know, hey, listen, if you could give me all your houses, give me your bank account. And no, he said, go sell everything. What possessed him is what he wanted him to let go of. The very thing that kept him from surrendering himself to the Lordship of Christ. That's what he was asking for. And so Paul, just the same way in which Jesus was not seeking this man's possessions, he was not seeking the Corinthians' possessions. He wasn't seeking their money or anything other than their lives and them to be in the loving care of Jesus Christ. He gave some examples of how it was that he cared for them as a father and mother and support their children sacrificially so he does for them. This is the relationship. If you want to bring across this point, it was the parents who took care of the kids, provided for them everything that was necessary, and even sacrificially. Paul says, I have this relationship with you. I regard myself as seriously your father. I, I'm, I'm spending and will be spent for your sake. That's what a good parent does. They're willing to sacrifice for the sake of the child. To give to them, to provide for them, to lead them, to direct them in life. And for those of you who are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So that was the relationship that Paul had with his brother there in Corinth. Paul did receive support from other churches, though. We know he received support from the church of Philippi, but did not from the church in Corinth. From the evidence in these two letters, we see that perhaps it was because they were spiritual babies, had best children, and weren't sufficient, not a sufficient understanding to partner with them in the work of the ministry in this manner. It's like, you know what? That's the one thing. I remember Pastor Chuck Smith one day, he says, oh, keep your filthy lucre. We don't need it. It's like, what? In today's terms, that's money. Keep your money. We don't need it. Right? If there's ever a heart that says, oh, all you do is ask for money, keep it. Keep it. Continue to grow in the Lord. And you'll see how it is that we partner with each other in ministry in so many different ways. 
The people I most often hear complaints of the church and finances are those who don't even go to the do and do not understand the benefit of all in the participation of all for the work of the ministry and to spread the gospel the church and for missionary work. That, that's often you guys have conversations with people and sometimes the one thing that they bring up for money. Hopefully if you're at a church where they're pleading for money, that's, that's one warning. Probably shouldn't keep going there. We take an offering. We receive an offering. Tithing. Full giver. One who's willing. Who understands that this is all part of ministry. We wouldn't have this place if it wasn't for all of us coming together. All of us. And I say all of us. And giving to the work of the Lord. It's to be done with a joyful heart. Not with bitterness. Not with resentment. Now, if you, again, if you have that heart, keep it. Keep it in your pocket. But I do pray that you allow the Lord to work and to show you his love. And no matter what you're feeling at the time, that he's still graceful towards you and he desires that you would grow in him. Now, for Paul, he was genuinely being selfless. And this ought to be Christ, the church and others around us in a selfless manner. The third thing we see here is genuine benefit. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. That when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who sin of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. The section is, is all interested in everything that he's done up to this point. Is for their benefit. To help build them up in Christ. His defense even was not for his sake, but for their sake. He reluctantly went into this. Okay. If they can boast, I can boast all the more. There are a few things. Then again, he went into suffering. It was all for their sake. It wasn't for his sake. He talked about his foolishness to boast about anything pertaining to himself. But at the same time, he didn't apologize for it because he knew it was spoken for their benefit. He was proclaiming the truth before God. He, he wasn't embellishing on the truth. He was clearly speaking it. I'm speaking more of that. In fact, that person that went into the third heaven, how much did he speak on that? Not much. Oh, that was worth boasting about. He just barely touched on that. Right? The fact of, uh, you know, his genealogy was just pure. The man under whom he sat, Gamaliel, as a star student. Right? Did he boast about those things? No, not really. His boasting, he wanted to boast in the Lord. But he didn't apologize again for the things that he did say, for he said them in Christ. He was proclaiming the truth before God. Was there conviction within the church in Corinth? That would be a good thing. It's a good thing when the church is convicted. When, when our hearts are just split open in the Lord, we, we feel like, oh, he's like, did he know? Did he tell me? It's because the Lord of Spirit is bringing conviction. He's picking up open our hearts. And that's what should lead us to repentance, to turn from those things. What Paul was writing to them was not meant to make them feel bad or, or see them squirm in their chairs. It wasn't for that. But rather, for them to snap out of their spiritual stupor. That's what it was for. And bring them to their senses, for them to be in the right place before God. What Paul is concerned about is that he will find them living in the, in, with the same problems, in the same sins that he had already addressed. And not having repented of their sins in return to a right relationship with the Lord. That's what he was worried about. That's what he was concerned about. That's what he feared to find when he returned the third time. The list of issues is a result of fleshly, worldly thinking. Quarreling, infighting, jealousy, I want what he, she has. Uh, these things is a cause of worldly thinking. In fact, James, he says this in James 4, 1 through 4, what causes among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So it starts with you. You desire, do not have, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James said it very well. These things put us at odds with the Lord as we come side by side in friendship with the world. Galatians 5, 22 through 24 I want to give you this, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. By the way, we are not to dwell in what we've quote-unquote lost but in what we think. But the question is, but if they were the ones that were still in the world, why would Paul be the one who felt humbled? Perhaps he thought that he wasn't doing a good job, that he wasn't a good leader, so much so that the Christians were not responding to his exhortations and rebukes of love. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm falling short. I'm, I'm being humbled by the Lord. 
Maybe I didn't put it to you the way in which I should have. I have failed you. I love that heart. So if you didn't get it this way, I'm going to give it to you another way. If you didn't get it that way, then I'm going to try again this way. But I'm going to keep coming at you. Why? Because I love you. I'm not going to turn my back on you. That's truly reflecting the love of Christ. That's what this apostle Paul was doing with the church of Corinth. He says, I may be humbled. Everything that Paul was doing was for the sake of building them up to develop them in Christ's maturity to an understanding, a full understanding of Jesus Christ. And keep in mind as we read through that Paul was not saying that he would mourn over those who had sinned in past days, but would actually mourn over those who had sinned and not repented, not turned from their sin. You see, God is not asking for perfection from anyone. What he's asking for, what he requires, is one word that is often not spoken, and that is repent. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. As Christians, we, would, we should live lives of repentance every single day. That's not defeat, by the way. That's humility. That's submission to the lordship of God. And as we repent of those things, we understand and we admit, we confess, we fall short. And we submit to your lordship and we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Until the day we go home to be with the Lord, that process is ongoing. Molding and shaping the child of God. Second Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but his patience for you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach a happy life. Satisfaction with yourself. Great pleasures in life. That you would have your best life now. No? Oh, no. That needs repentance. No. That all should reach repentance. John Calvin writes, but Paul reveals to us the mind of a true and sincere pastor when he says that he will look on the sins of others with grief. Close quote. There's rejoicing over one who repents, one person who repents. The grief over the one who repents not continues down the path of self destruction and leaves in his wake. Devastation. But everything that Paul was doing was for the sake of building them up in the sight of God. How's the point that he's making here? I, I worry about this. I fear that this is the way that we found when I come to you a third time. I hope not. I hope not. There's nothing that grieves, that should grieve a pastor more than for people to remain in their sin willingly. That's rebellion. Why would you do that? You're, you're affecting your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not, you're not fooling anyone but yourself. You're walking in deceit. We can say here that God's desire is that you live in the center in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Remember that God is not interested in your possessions, but in possessing you. And sure, Paul badly spent was spent for the sake of the brethren in Corinth, but even that pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ did on Calvary, on the cross, a little over 2,000 years ago. It, it pales in comparison. And the question for us this morning is, how, how will you respond to that demonstration of love toward you? How have you been responding up to this point? The Father sent His only begotten Son to this earth to die in your place, to die in your place be, because you could not sufficiently pay for your sins and have a relationship, enjoy that relationship with the Father because we're sinners. Our sin separates us from the Father. The answer to it all was His Son, Jesus Christ, who He sent for us to die in our place, to pay the price that we owed so that we can enjoy in Jesus Christ by grace through faith, relationship with the Father. What does it take? It takes repentance and belief. The work has already been done. And there's not anything that you can do to earn merit with Him, with the Lord. What does it take? It takes surrender. No work on your behalf. The next life does not depend on what you do in this life other than surrendering to Jesus Christ. That's it. Receiving that gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And then the way you live your life after that is a reflection of that new life in Christ. In honor of the Lord as we walk in obedience to Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. But it's not a burden. For all who believe and know this grace and enjoy this grace and have the certain hope of eternally being in God's glory and heaven with Him, oh, this is a proper response. Oh, what is it that pleases you? My Lord and my Master, I owe my whole life to you. I'm going to be with you for eternity. How can I please you? And this is the proper response to the love that was first demonstrated to us. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Life, right? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, all of you, was set before him. Filling the will of the Father was set before him. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know why he's seated? Because on the cross, he said these words. He said, it is. He's sitting. He's advocating for you and I. And he's looking forward to a response from you. Please forgive me. Please take me as your child, as my Lord and Savior. That's, that's the response. That's why he died for you and I. So he's laid out before the church. But it was so that he could point to Jesus Christ. That's it. I just want heart so that I could point you to Jesus Christ. That's it. Does your heart belong to Jesus Christ? I pray it does. Want to know a relationship with him? Repent of your sin and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. By grace, you are saved by grace through faith. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for 
that indescribable gift of grace that you have given to us through Jesus Christ, that we can enjoy a relationship with you. Lord, teach us your ways. Help us to walk with you, to please you, to glorify you. Help us also, there's the good news of salvation that is found in no other name under heaven but Jesus Christ. Help us to tell them what you have done in our lives and lead others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ themselves. And so, Father, we praise you, we thank you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.